encourage the speaker, the better it'll be for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If you disagree with anything, just don't say anything, all right? <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I've got a couple of notices. Somebody's lost some posh little tiny glasses that fold up. They're on here. I've got a very important announcement as well. I know Dr. Who starts tonight. And I know Colin is in complete turmoil over where he should be tonight. But even Colin who is the biggest Doctor Who nerd you have ever come across in your life. I set his video recorder. Or his, well, he's not, his video, his video recorder. Oh, I'm talking about tradition this morning. He set it to record. So he can still be at our evening service at 6 o'clock. Go back afterwards and enjoy watching Doctor Who at your leisure. Come on, this is, this, we, we'll, we'll be meeting in Jesus' name, which is much more important than seeing the new Doctor, even though it's going to all the way through. Ah, I just need to see the new Doctor Who. But there you go. So please be here tonight. I'm going to have a fantastic time. Our time's rolling on a bit, so I'm going to crack on. Is that all right if, if I do that? Get rolling? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no, you're okay for me taking a long time then. No, no, jump to crack on, shall I? Okay, so we're looking at Fresh this morning, our next season of Fresh, if you're new to us or you've missed one or two, we've been looking at a fresh way of living, a fresh perspective on what God is doing. So we've looked at David, or King David in the Old Testament, and Samuel, uh, and we had an introduction session as well, and today I'm going to jump into the New Testament. Uh, So we're looking at life in the New Testament, and today I want to tackle mundane. Being mundane, or being traditional even, and and recognizing that God wants to take us into a fresh kind of living. Um, and a new kind of New Testament life. Um, and we're going to be looking at a, one of the big characters. We're going to start with looking at Paul the Apostle. Uh, well, I thought we'd start on the big guns. His battles between tradition and new. Tradition and change. Uh, his old message and a new message from Christ. And he had an enormous battle when he was first called Saul and later became Paul. So I'll, I'll mix up those two names. If you're new to church, if you're not a Christian, this guy was called Saul. And later on, he changed his name to Paul to represent all that Christ had done for him. So if I say Saul or Paul this morning, I'm talking about the same person. Okay? Uh, so I, what's really interesting is I've been noticing lots of people want to take back control. Has anybody heard that phrase recently? Taking back control. Oh, you've all gone quiet, just in case. I'm not, you've all gone, oh, he's going to get political on us. We've just had all sorts of conversations about taking back control. Um, I've tried to soften it by putting a backbone up there because they're never specific about that. But taking back control. What do we lose control of? To who? When do we give it? Why do we give it? What will we do with it when we get it back? What did we do with it last time we had control over it? And why did we lose it anyway? And what is it? There are the genuine questions I, I keep asking myself. As someone that likes history and looking at history, I'm con- really, really fascinated by this debate of taking back control. I don't mean in a political left or right um, kind of conversation, who is right and who is wrong, but just this concept of taking control, taking something, having something back. I'm, I'm kind of uneasy about that because it, for me the whole debate seems to be a discussion about hanging on to what is or going back to what was. And here am I as a Christian, aware that people are not easy with change and yet God is a God of change. Our salvation is one of change. 
and we're just not good at change. We have this kind of, we love monuments, we, 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 we love uh, setting up statues, we, we love to mark things, and it's, it's good to do that, it's not bad to do that, but we get wrapped up in tradition, in the shape of what was, and change scares us. Who here likes change? Lots of people do. Lots of people are conditional. It depends what the change is. Depends. So actually, we're all a little bit, we kind of want it, and yet we're a little bit reserved about it. I'm fascinated by this because church is a place of massive, massive tradition. Um, I'm very conscious that Sundays appear and Sundays disappear. That they, Sunday is welcome, worship, word, and back to work on Monday. And we do the same things and the same. And, and I know we have tradition because things like this are genuinely real, even in our church. They're genuinely real. Oh, no, anybody can sit anywhere they like. But I know when I stand here exactly where to look to catch people by eye that I want to speak. To. I know where you will sit. 90% of you sit in the same seats week in and week out. And the other 10% are annoying 90% of people because they've sat in the wrong seat. Is the bottom line. Okay, but we're not precious about it in this church. We, we don't worry about it too much. Has anybody ever sat in the wrong seat and had that look in our church? You just need to know, ladies, you're not meant to be sat there. <laughs> I know who normally sits there, and you get, you, you're getting a dirty look. Well, you'll be, but they're sat in front of you right now, because... They get <laughs> We're very strange creatures, aren't we? Creatures of habit. And when we become creatures of habit and familiarity, uh, we really, really wrestle with change and with movement. And yet God wants us to go into something new. We can so easily go through the motions of church. We, we know what to do and how to do it. Um, we can begin to clock watch all the time. Because oh, we, we, I was doing it earlier. I'm thinking, hold on a minute. They're singing that battle song. That's simply because they rehearsed it and they like singing it. Because normally they've stopped singing by now. Well, who says they've stopped singing by now? At what point did we make that the law? Well, actually, it was about six months ago, wasn't it, Rob? <laughs> but we've got to be open to the Holy Spirit. So we're not people of fixed tradition. We want to be Holy Spirit-led, which means there's change. And everything about our salvation, everything about our Christian life is change. And yet I read in Scripture, it says about the Lord, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can anybody tell me that Jesus is mundane? Because he's not. And yet he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And isn't it amazing that this person that can be the same yesterday, today, and forever is also always fresh. He's always new. So we need to understand what we do here every week. We need to understand why is it we gather every week? Why is it on a cold morning when my central eating isn't turned on yet? Because I'm from Yorkshire. And I was really having that, why is my central eating not turned on moment this morning? And, and even as I stood in the kitchen with my feet freezing, because I'm not wearing slippers either, because old men wear slippers, and my feet were freezing, but I don't care. Oh, I still came to church, because I know our heating system works at the moment. Yay! Don't hold on, it's a long winter. There's no guarantee every week that it's going to be working. I need to understand what we're doing here, the price that we pay to, and there is a price to be paid. Many of you pay a 
a, a price physically in time, in effort, in finance to do this. So what is it we're doing? Is it just a tradition? Is it just a habit? Is it just something we do? Is it mundane? I want to say, I think this is something miraculous and wonderful and bigger than that. There's a reason, and it's around Jesus, something about Jesus that we haven't altogether worked out yet. Because if we'd altogether worked it out yet, there will be thousands of us in this place. We'll be queuing up to get in, and our town will be utterly transformed. And yet, we know there is something. We know there is something in this Jesus. We love him. We get it. We've seen our lives begin to change. So what matters is not what we do, but why we do it. Because the very nature of our faith is about being changed as new creations, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. See, I'm doing a new thing, he says. I'm turning darkness to light. We're a transformation people. So we can't get used to what was because God has always got a what will be coming. And we need to get hold of that. Well, let's have a look at Saul with that in, in, in the back. Drop that in your mind, Saul, stroke Paul. Um, in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to throw you straight in. Um, so Jesus died, Jesus come back to life, gone to heaven, the disciples are out there preaching, one of the guys called Stephen, Stephen's a waiter, and he looks after tables and takes care of things, but he's also a massively Holy Spirit filled guy, and uh, he's out there talking about Jesus in public, and he gets into all sorts of trouble for this, and a whole group of Jewish leaders uh, gather together, and they decide that, that the religious leaders are going to kill him, and so they stone him to death, because he's talking about Jesus, and they don't like it. And, and this is what it says about Saul. This is before he becomes a Christian in Acts chapter 8, 1 to 4. It's written up above me. And Saul approved of their killing him. The church persecuted and scattered on that day. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. That's a powerful phrase, isn't it? It doesn't say he tried. He said he began to destroy the church. He was winning. Going from house to house, he dragged up both men and women and put them in prison. But those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Let's take a look at these events. Uh, Because I think this is actually the beginnings of a God-called moment for Paul the Apostle. Something happened here. He oversees the murder, the brutal murder of and he's officially sanctioned and allowed to do that, uh, of a Christian that's proclaimed the good news of Jesus. He, I think, uh, something huge happens. Stephen is messing with the establishment. Stephen is saying, look, everything that was is kind of fine, but look, Jesus is, Jesus is continuing the story. Jesus himself is fulfilling the Lord. Jesus is bringing good news. Jesus is, is the salvation. Jesus is the Messiah that we've longed for, that we've prayed for. But here is one of the religious leaders that should have grasped this. And all he could see is, whoa, that upsets my apple cart. That changes my life. That means I lose control. That means I'm not in charge anymore, and I want to be in charge. My tradition, my lifestyle, my view matters more than God's truth. See, Stephen wasn't killed by ordinary people. He was killed by people that were hanging on to their authority, that were hanging on to their tradition. The ordinary people had already made a commitment to Christ. And so when the church was scattered, thousands of them were scattered. And we can work out it was many, many thousands of people at this point. Um, they were scattered right across that region. And wherever they went, they took good news. They took good news about Jesus. There's nothing mundane about that life. 
this Jesus salvation, this belonging to church, had impacted their lives so much, they've been scattered and lost everything. So what do they do? Do they return to an old life and forget it? No, they press into this new life. And even when they've lost their homes, lost their employment, they're effectively forced out to become refugees. They're scattered across the whole region. What do they do? They carry on saying, Jesus is worth it. Let me tell you about who Jesus is. I am blown away by that simple phrase. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. It's enormous. They've lost everything. These are brand new Christians. Something massive has happened to them. They belong to the church. They've committed to church. We saw last week and the week before how they're totally committed into the life of, of local church. They, 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 they've been in the presence of God. They worship there. They learned there. They grew there. And so when they're scattered, even though they lose everything that makes them who they are, they haven't lost their salvation. They haven't lost good news. They haven't lost their purpose in life. They are still Christ's. Saul tries to destroy the church. The good news Jesus story because it threatened his tradition, his way of life. His ego, his pride, his authority was challenged by a carpenter who told the truth. And that really worried him. Jesus and every word about him changes the culture around us. He changes our culture. You see, I, I love that scripture says we're in the world but no longer of it. We have a brand new culture. Do you understand that? So occasionally we're going to struggle. We're going to rub against the world. It's not going to be easy. But, you know, thank the Lord. I don't care what anybody says in the press. We are not a persecuted people. We're not in this country. We're a, sometimes they make it awkward for us people. But that is a long way from being a persecuted people. Did anybody see the program back up on Friday night? How amazing was that? Because it seemed to me that all the way through that program, the producers were thinking, there must be a way to trip these people up, except they're just really good. And this is really good news. And so what came across was the love of Christ. And it was fantastic. It was brilliant. So they try, might try to make life difficult. Somebody might out there. But the truth is our God is bigger. Our God is greater. And the message is worth it. Some the religious leaders want to manage and control people's lives, their time and their costs in this situation. Today, our world is controlled in all sorts of ways. You know, we're managed, we're monitored, we're known. Every time you go on Facebook, you'll get Facebook ads because of the things you've looked at on Google search. So people know about every aspect of your life. There's no, and people tell me, oh, I, I, I live offline. No, you don't. You can't because you have to sign on at your bank and you've got a national insurance number. Our lives are known. And yet nobody knows our lives like Christ does. Nobody knows our eternity like Christ does. Nobody's with us like Christ is. Nobody's fighting our corner like he is. Nobody's winning battles on our behalf like he is. And, you know, we are not prisoners of this world. We're in it, not of it. In John 8, 36, um, in the New Testament letter, a gospel, it says this, if the Son gives you freedom, you are free. How amazing is that? See, Saul moved from control to freedom. Saul became a Christian. He looked at this and he had his Damascus Road experience. He's literally on his way to destroy a few more people, to, to persecute the church a bit more, and he meets Christ supernaturally. And he makes a massive conversion. And once where he's a murderer, listen to what he says about himself at the beginning of a letter he wrote to church in Rome. He says this, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Wow. This one-time murderer and traditionalist has upended everything for Christ. His identity's changed, his activity's changed, his purpose has changed. He's a new creation. He's gone from being a man of authority, 
persecute him to a servant of Christ. He's gone from somebody that is involved and at the heart of the mess to being set apart by God to influence. He's gone from being a bad news person to being a gospel good news person. Identity and activity and purpose have changed because he's a completely new creation. Once he looked on as others acted, but now he serves. It's interesting to me that he watched people die. But in this situation, he brings people to life. He's involved. He's hands-on. Once his purpose was to destroy, and now it's to bring life and good news. What happened? What happened? I want to explore what happened this morning because I think it has relevance for our lives. He gets saved and causes mayhem. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to give you the whole details of this because there would be too many scriptures for you. But what I want you to do is to go to the book of Acts and find the beginning of the story when Saul becomes a Christian. And he, goes out, he causes absolute mayhem as a new Christian. He's in every marketplace, in every synagogue. He's in, a, he's in the temple. He's going wherever he can. And he's so hyper-enthusiastic. He's doing everybody's heads in. He's causing absolute, there's trouble wherever he goes because he's one of these guys that just causes trouble. And even when he becomes a Christian, it's Christian trouble he's causing. Man alive, he's a nightmare. He's, but he's like a good nightmare. Anybody here, when they first became a Christian, did you get onto Hyperdrive when you became a Christian? Yeah. Oh, we know you did, Dean. I mean, if you did not put your hand up, I was going to point at you. When. When I became a Christian, when I kind of worked all this thing out, I was at work, and my boss took me to one side and said, what's wrong? He thought I got some like, massive mental health issue going off. But I was just passionate. I just wasn't brilliantly wise about how to be passionate. I don't want to lose that passion, but I don't want to mature in God. So please, please go and read about what, what Paul did. Because actually, I think what Paul did, he focused very much on his own ministry and wanted to be this great preacher validation of who he was mattered because he'd been a mess and now he was saved and he needed validation and so he was serving his own ministry and not serving the Lord and he caused mayhem for a while but the church were magnificent with him and taught him and trained him and discipled him and we're going to come to that in a moment I've got a friend in America called Lawrence Neeson some of you know him leads Destiny Church a great big massive enormous church in the, in the States and, and I'm going to read out what he put about dignifying other people and about our service and our ministry. I'm going to read what he says, because if I were to say this, some of you might be cross at me. So blame him, not me. And he puts this, Humility empowers us to dignify others rather than feeling the need to validate ourselves. A gifted person who isn't broken thrives on the attention given in their direction. A broken person doesn't self-promote. When you self-promote, it's only a matter of time before you self-destruct. Anybody who thrives on attracting attention in their direction needs to sit down until they can grow up. Were Now do you understand why I chose not to say that for myself? That was Lawrence Neeson, not me. I may or may not agree with that. Okay, You decide whether I agree with that or not. But isn't it interesting that if we have gift, if we have capacity, if we have ability, it feels so good to be validated. But, you know, the Lord doesn't give us gifting so we can feel or look good. It gives us gifting so we can serve his people. Yeah. It gives us gifting so we can be broken and lay our lives down for others. And that gifting can be used to elevate and dignify other people, to bring salvation and to bring growth and change to people. That's what the Lord gives us gift for. The Lord did not give me gifting to make me look good. He gave me gifting to serve him. And we need to get hold of that. 
this is about living your call or God's call. And the image up there really is about answering that God call because sometimes we, we see our gifting, we see the skills that we have or we dream of the skills that we wish we had or that we want to attain and we want to choose. Is it our call or is it God's call over our lives? We need to be walking in God's call over our lives. I've seen this happen in people, people craving validation, and their lives do break. They do self-destruct. But here's what happened. I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 9, verse 13, 31. The believers learned about all the, the nutty, passionate, over-the-top, well-meaning, chaotic things Paul was doing. It was well-meaning and wonderful, but chaotic. It says, the believers learned of this. They took Saul down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, increased in numbers. Basically, they got him out of the way to grow up. And the minute they got him out of the way, life was peaceful again and there was no aggravation and the church began to grow. In fact, it was being so enthusiastic, the church wasn't growing. This is one of the greatest evangelists and apostles of all time. One of those people is a foundation father of the church. And yet when he first got saved, he was so nutty about his faith, the church was struggling. But did they get cross at him? They took him to one side and they taught him. They saw a gift, they saw a passion, they saw a heart, and they trained and discipled him because that's what we are, disciples. He's not in trouble here. They want to strengthen him and release him. He needed to sit down a while until he developed a serving heart. And church, you know, we need to be sure that we're always capable of taking time aside to grow in Christ. It's never enough just to be running in God and knowing that, oh, we're good at this or good at that. We always need to be those people that are capable of stepping to one side and knowing that we need to grow, knowing that we need to mature. Whatever your ministry is, no matter how great you are, no matter what you know or you're capable of, we need that quiet time with the Lord. It's interesting to me that even Jesus himself at times, in the midst of his ministry, he says, took himself away to be with God. Just to pray, to be with him, to be close to him. We need that time. We need that time of serving, being in his presence, and of being prepared. So what was Paul being prepared for? What was Paul being prepared for? Bear in mind, I've just, I've just read that the church leaders sent him off, out of the way, to a backwater to grow. Well, let me read you from, from Acts. It says this about him. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. You see, where Saul had been set apart to grow, this time he's set apart by the Holy Spirit to be sent off, to be released. He was sent off to a quiet place to grow. Now he's sent off to a loud place to go and carry the good news to other people. He's released into that very ministry that was clearly alive within him, had been matured and helped and discipled. He'd been blessed and been a blessing and was released. I love this. When it's time for him to be sent off, he goes with others. You see, he was doing it himself, and now he's doing it with others. Being church is so important. You can't be a solo pilot. We are called to gather together. We're called to be together. We're called to be church. And Paul initially, when he tried to do it himself, caused mayhem. When he went as part of the church, belonging and knowing as part of that family, then blessing flows. 
And that's where the presence of God is, where we meet together in Jesus' name, his word says, that's where I am in their midst. When he does it with others, God's presence is there and he's prepared for the opportunity, prepared to bring good news. Church, you know when we find that difficult time, the, the stressful stuff and the difficult times, you know the thing that we must never do is to run away. We've got to run into the presence of God and the presence of God can be found amongst his people. So I encourage you, when you're having the bad time, don't hide. When you're having the bad time, gather. Gather and be with, be close, be near. Be prepared to be sent with good news. You see, Paul had the whole Matthew 28 treatment where Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, teach them everything I've commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and then I'll be with you always. And Paul had that experience. He becomes a Christian and he's taught everything, he's discipled, he's baptized and as he's sent out, God is with him. Church, we need the same thing. You and I, we're no different. We need to be taught. We need to learn. We need to grow. We need that baptism. We need baptism in the Holy Spirit too. We need to be then sent out. Because that is the destiny of these people's lives. People like you and me. We are set apart. When we look at those phrases, set apart, the Greek word used here talks about the limits. Because it's talking about a specific purpose. Not just a general thing. But you are specifically set apart. There is a reason, there is call and purpose on your life. There's identity. Then the word work that it uses, apart from my work, the Greek word there is effort, connected with purpose. We give ourselves, so God calls it into being, but we also give everything humanly, passionately that we can. Our strength, our heart, our soul, our mind, is poured into what God calls us for. And then the bit I really love, I have called them, it says, this God speaking in that letter, I have called them. The Greek means... Listen, I have called them to me. They are called to me. See, when we are called, we're not called to a job. We are called to the presence of God. Understand that first. We're called into a relationship with Jesus, not into a title. God says they are called to me. So we're sending them out. Over everything is their identity preparedness for life. Church, I just want you to get hold of this in, in light of the things we've been looking at. Our relationship, first and foremost, must be with Jesus Christ. Whatever title you've got, whatever title you esteem to, whether you're the worship leader or the coffee refreshments team leader or the welcome team or a connect group leader, whatever it might be, you are called first to Christ. That's where we grow from. That's what we're empowered by. If you're leading worship, you can only lead worship when you know absolutely you are serving Christ and you are called into the presence of Christ, that he's the one who called you. Your relationship is with him, with Jesus as your savior, not with your guitar as leader. Your, your relationship is, as, a, as a steward on the door is with Jesus as your savior, not with, don't I look cool in my black t-shirt. That's not... We've got to get hold of this church because that takes us from mundane, from mundane to something holy, to something precious. We can grab good things in our time or we can receive God's best in his time. And sometimes his time means taking time out to grow and to learn and mature. Who you are and where you are is precious in Christ. So you in your life, in your situation, in your circumstance, whatever challenges you're facing, you are precious to God. I was delighted watching the program about CAP 
um, the young man that had, had suffered abuse as a child and all sorts of problems. And the producer of the show challenged him and said, is this really helpful to talk about this? It, you know, why are you doing this? And he said, well, because it's part of the journey. This is what God has done. This is what God's brought me through. And I, I don't want to like, hate all of that. I want to use that for good now. I want to give me, this gives me a God story. This gives me a story in Jesus to say, this is what Jesus has done. This is actually, God had empowered him from his brokenness. That is amazing because what was his relationship with? His relationship wasn't with his damage and abuse. His relationship wasn't with a job that he got within CAP. His relationship was with Jesus. And because of that, everything began to fit. So church, I just encourage you, have a relationship with Jesus. Um, that's our fulfilling time. Remember, I used this phrase last week, and I repeat it again. Faith isn't a moment in time for something. Faith is a position of your heart for someone, Jesus. This means we can receive what Jesus prayed for, your kingdom come on earth. The minute what we do is based around Jesus, that's the moment we can begin to say, your kingdom come on earth. That's when it becomes a kingdom come experience. You know, the reason I love worship is because I, musically I like it, it's enjoyable, um, it's physically fun, it's, it's great to hear. But there are those moments, there are those moments when it's about Jesus. It's always a good thing to do, but every now and again, and we were touching on it this morning, we began to experience it this morning, there are those moments when your focus is Jesus. And it's not about who's playing guitar or keyboard or drums. It's not about where I'm stood. It's not about who's on PA system. It's about being in the presence of Christ. Yeah. His Holy Spirit being in us and amongst us and around us. Something transforms. Because it's not about getting something. It's about having a heart towards Jesus. And that's a precious place. Because then we can carry that out. Why do we gather on a Sunday? We gather on a Sunday for that very experience to build one another up, to encourage one another, to stir one another, to release one another, to send one another out so that our Monday morning experience can still carry Christ. That's the moment when Christ's prayer, your kingdom come on earth, becomes a reality. When you, as an ambassador for Christ, walk into your office, walk into your circumstance, walk into your department at work, walk into the job center, walk into the cafe, I say these things regularly because I think they need saying regularly because we need to own that our relationship is with Christ where we are at that moment and where we are is kingdom, where we are is kingdom values, where we are are kingdom people and what we bring into that setting is the presence of Christ and it challenges how we think, it challenges what we look at, it challenges what we surf and find on Google, it challenges the conversation we have, it challenges the, the reactions and emotions we have when somebody cuts us up in the car, it challenges how we react when a boss has got on our back, it challenges the tensions and pressures when people are gossiping around the water fountain at work, it challenges what we are to be Christ, to be your kingdom come. I want to be in that moment where the movement begins. Not just enjoying one moment away from the next, but I want to be in that moment where the movement of God begins, where I see Christ. That's the faith in someone. That's Jesus who prays your kingdom come on earth. This is Paul's Monday morning reality check that we read about when he suddenly realizes, I've been sent away and I've been called back and I'm sent out. I'm sent out. 
his mundane is broken. His own call is surrendered to God's call on his life. When these Jesus followers gather, it's never mundane. You know, when the early church gathered, it was never mundane. If it were mundane, when they were persecuted, they'd have surrendered their faith. When they lost everything and were sent out, they would not have carried that good news. But they carried that good news because it was not mundane. It was not self-centered. God was doing something. I'm going to invite the band back up onto stage because we're going to close with a worship song soon. But church, I want to encourage you that there can be freshness in your life. There can be a freshness and a newness in your circumstances. But it's about having a relationship with someone, not something. So what I'd like us to do is to think about what you are and who you are. Because I realize I have a relationship with things in my life. There's a relationship with things that I have. Things that... I've just made a, a, I'm not going to go into details, Julie and I know what the, the enormity of the decision I've just made is, but it's, it's just, and you'll think it's stupid, but don't worry about it, but for me, it's massive. I've just made a decision about something, and it is huge, because I can't love something, I can only love Christ, an object, a possession, a place, a job title. They may all be important, but next to Christ, they're nothing. So this is what I want to read over us, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. And as I'm doing this, aware that we're being prepared for that God day, for that fresh day when Christ returns, I want you to imagine your situation. Perhaps you've got a job title at work. Perhaps your title is mum or dad. Perhaps your title is the history that was broken or hurt. Perhaps your title is plumber. Perhaps your title is IT specialist. Perhaps your title is student. Perhaps your title is retired. Perhaps your title is, I've got no idea what I'm doing with my life. It could be a many, many things. Perhaps your, your, your title is, is multimillionaire, in which case the Lord says, come and speak to me afterwards. I'm going to read these verses from Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm just going to ask that we're all still for a moment. And what I would like us to do, is, as we are ready, taking our moment before God, is when you are ready, if you feel it's right for you in God, to stand and say, I surrender this to you. I surrender this to you. Because I may well be a IT specialist. But first of all, I am a son of the living God I'm a child of God first of all this is about Jesus not about my skills I may well be a pianist or a guitarist or a drummer or a singer or a doctor or a nurse or a PhD student <laughs> we can be all these amazing wonderful things but if we're not Christ's first we have nothing the very things that we have find value in our identity as Christians. So let me read these verses out. And it's about our gathering together to be in the presence of God. And then as the band begin to sing, I'd like them to minister to us. They're going to sing to us, sing over us, reach out to God on our behalf. And as you're ready, just stand where you are. That's your, your offering to God. Here I am. 
this is me, this is my title, this is my history, this is the good stuff. You, you, the title, I just want to say, the title over you right now may be damaged. The thing that you identify yourself with even today may be a bad thing, a hard thing, a tough thing, but that's all right. You can still stand and give that to God and say, but in that situation, it is about Christ. Hebrews 10:19 says this, so let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshipping together, as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. So let's not be afraid. Let's not be afraid. As the band sings, band leaders, as you're ready, as you feel it's right, let's say Christ first. And as you're comfortable, just stand to your feet because that will encourage those around you. That will be a blessing. That will transform. That says, that person that's just moved next to me saying, I'm not after something, I'm after a relationship with someone, with Jesus Christ. Then we'll close our worship and enjoy fellowship, enjoy company together, stirring one another, encouraging one another. So Father, we pray that you'll be with us. Holy Spirit, rest on us now, your congregation, your people are gathered in your name. Would you soften our hearts? Would you turn our hearts and our eyes and our minds, our soul, our strength to you? Lord, we want a glimpse of who Jesus is. Lord, we pray that even as we, we hear worship now and partake in worship, what we would want wouldn't be something but someone. Jesus Christ.
Lord, this morning we thank you that we are we are children, that we, we belong to you, Lord. And Lord, just help us remember that it's it's not about what, what we're doing, it's not what we're doing for ourselves, it's what we're doing for you, Lord Jesus, that everything we do is is to glorify your name, to see our friends and family come to you, Lord. Lord, we worship and praise your name. Amen. God's good, isn't he? Excellent. Uh, Well, that's our time together for now. I feel like my dad's teasing me, but never mind. (laughs) Um, Please, if it's your first time here, we would love to get to know you. We've, We've got our connections corner in the back. Please come in talk to Paul or talk to anybody uh, on the stage, we'd, we'd love to get to know you a little bit more, let's just spend some time fellowshipping together and drinking some tea and coffee and we uh, would love to see you again uh, here tonight at, at 6 o'clock